I invite you now to open God's word with me uh, to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Now, if you are familiar with uh, this chapter, then you may know there are two different Johns uh, that are being referred to. And so for the sake of clarity, I will call them John the writer and then, of course, John the Baptist. Now, John began writing this gospel uh, very boldly about who Jesus is. John began uh, emphasizing that John the Baptist uh, in his ministry declared that he himself is not the Savior, but he is indeed a prophetic messenger who is pointing others to that Savior. Now, John the writer front loads his gospel uh, with clear declarations of Jesus's identity so that the reader right from the beginning of opening up this particular uh, book of the Bible knows who Jesus is even before he shows up in the text. Now, the primary thing we will learn from our text is that Jesus is the promised Savior. Simply put, Jesus saves. And the primary application is tell others. So the primary uh, points that we have for our text, the Savior proclaimed, the Spirit provided, and the Son presented. If you're taking notes, you can, uh, I'll repeat them a few times, but the Savior proclaimed, the Spirit provided, and the Son presented. So let us pray now and ask the Lord to illumine our hearts to his word before we read it. Our Father, you are the one who has given us all things And we thank you, Lord Jesus, as you have come, as your word incarnate, that we might know you as our Savior and our Lord. And Holy Spirit, as you are the one who leads us into all truth, we pray that you would guide us to understand the text as it's read, to understand it as it's proclaimed, and that as you would work uh, in our hearts, that you would enable us to not only know you as our Savior, but also to be emboldened to share it with those in our lives where we live, where we work, where we play, that they would know you as well because you have called us as your people to be a lighthouse into our community and into this world. And we pray it in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Well, hear now God's word from John chapter 1, be reading verses 29 to 34. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Well, as we think about uh, God's word this morning, uh, we can be reminded that history has some extremely important announcements that have been made. In American history, you might think of Paul Revere riding uh, to, through the town saying, the British are coming, the British are coming. It was a call to arms. If you think about the other end of war, at the end of World War II, uh, we have the announcement of 
VE Day, right? Victory in Europe, followed by VJ Day, uh, uh, victory over Japan and the official end of World War II. Now, these announcements were obviously, people were longing uh, to hear the end of World War II. But maybe if you want to think about more personal announcements, it might be somebody uh, announcing that they got into their favorite college, or maybe someone announcing that they are engaged or perhaps that there is uh, a new baby on the way. Now, history is filled with these important announcements, but there is no announcement more exciting and more important than the one John the Baptist gave in our text this morning when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if we look at that announcement in light of the Old Testament, God's people have been waiting to hear that from the very beginning, from the Garden of Eden Uh, many thousands of years before. And so we will first learn about the Savior proclaimed. We may hear this announcement with great joy, but that was not everyone's reaction. Let us try to understand this announcement by considering three different reactions. Now, some people would hear John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God, and they would be offended. Others would be very excited, and still others would be Unsure, And so the question is, which category do you fall under? For those taking notes, those are the three sub-points. First, are you offended? As we think about those who might have been affected, we look back at verse 29, and it says, this is the next day, meaning the day after John the Baptist got quizzed by the Jewish leaders about who he is. Now, those leaders would likely still be in the crowd the next day. And those leaders would certainly know the Old Testament. They would know that the Lamb of God was a reference about God providing a substitute to be sacrificed for sinners. Now, if you were in school, you may be reminded when you had a substitute teacher, right? That teacher took the place of your regular teacher. And that substitute idea, that ritual began with God himself when he clothed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden after they sinned, right? They, God is the one that sacrificed an animal, the very first death, a physical death in the history of the world. As God made uh, this clothing from the animal's skin uh, for covering the shame uh, of Adam and Eve. Now, this was a sign that pointed them forward, right, to the clothing that we would have in the righteousness of Christ, right? His perfect life covering us by faith. Now, the Jewish leaders would know that this practice was also performed by Abraham, right? His son Isaac uh, did not know what God had commanded his father to do, uh, but Isaac did understand that there was a sacrifice or a substitute that would be required. And so he asked his father in Genesis 22, Father, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the offering? Isaac knew the normal pattern of offering sacrifices. And we can praise God that he stopped Abraham before Abraham fulfilled his obedience to what God has commanded him to do. But God did provide not a lamb, but he provided a ram caught in the thicket, and Abraham sacrificed the ram in place of his only son. And so please understand the powerful answer 
to Isaac's question in our text. Isaac said, behold, right, where is the lamb? And John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God the Father did not withhold death from his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now, the Jewish leaders would also know that God commanded Israel to kill the Passover lamb and spread the blood on their doorposts. God also put many other animal sacrifices into Israel's worship practices. The leaders knew all of this, and they believed that these verses were very important. But the Jewish leaders would be confused and offended that John the Baptist said, This man is the Lamb of God. But the leaders would not only be offended, but think about the people uh, who were the immediate audience of receiving John's gospel, right? Think about those who first got the gospel. This is years and years later after Jesus ascended, right? John was the uh, one who wrote his gospel last, right? So years and years later, his gospel would be sent out to the various uh, churches and to the people in the synagogues would be hearing these things. And so think about how they would receive this information uh, starting to read uh, uh, John's gospel. So in the first century, as they are receiving this, uh, there would be both Jews and Gentiles mixed together uh, in the various churches. And we know from history uh, that, the gl- that glory in the Roman world was all about power. So some Gentiles would struggle with the idea of God's Savior being killed as a sacrifice. So Jews and Gentiles looked at the Savior as a conquering warrior, not a passive lamb to be killed. So to think the Messiah, God's promised Savior, was described as a lamb to be slaughtered would be offensive to many of those people. But the Jews might also be offended that John declared that he would take away the sins of the world, right? Was the Messiah just one for the Jews or was he one actually for the world? Well, if they were more careful in their reading of the Old Testament, they would know that Abraham was promised to be a blessing to all nations. And so through his seed, a blessing to all of the world. And that would certainly encourage the Gentiles. Now, to sum up, the Jewish leaders would be offended when Jesus was called the Lamb of God. We know that the first century people would be offended that God's Savior would be sacrificed. And some of the Jews would be offended that he was claiming to take away the sins of the whole world. And so when the Savior was proclaimed by John the Baptist, some hearing this and some reading this would certainly have been offended. But others, secondly, would have been excited Right? The Spirit of God has been at work in God's people throughout every era, every generation. And God had promised to preserve a remnant of faithful believers in every age. Now those who had the ears to hear would be excited that God's promises were finally coming to fruition. And so think first of all about John the Baptist's disciples. He said to them in verse 30, This is he of whom I said... After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Now, John the Baptist's disciples would obviously already have heard John talk about this, but 
<laughs> now it actually came true. It is fulfilled, the thing he had been talking about for so long. You know, they're going out to hear him preach in the wilderness, and finally, these things are coming true. Jesus was revealed and proclaimed as Savior after John the Baptist began his ministry. So in that sense, he came after John in the timeline, but Jesus as Lord, right, he existed before John. So in that sense, right, he came before him. He was of greater importance. He was before him in existence uh, because he is God. And so his disciples would certainly be excited. But what about John the Baptist himself? Right? I'm sure he was excited, but he does admit in verse 31, if you look, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Now how can John say he did not know him? John the Baptist and Jesus were related. Right? If you read back in the early part of uh, Luke and of Matthew, we know that, that Mary and Elizabeth were related. And so Jesus and John were only about six months apart in age, and so it's very likely that during their childhood they would have seen each other. Now, uh, John had only seen Jesus, though, for 30 years as Jesus the carpenter, right? And John said again in verse 33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This revealed that Jesus was no mere carpenter, right? Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John believed that, and he was very excited to proclaim the Savior has come. But what about the believers that were first reading John's gospel? Jesus promised that the Spirit would lead us into all truth, right? Believers who were given ears to hear and eyes to see would be connecting a variety of different dots in their minds and seeing all these things coming to be fulfilled. They knew that the substitutionary death that was required for the forgiveness of sins, they knew that the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. Even the lamb, the Passover lamb, was temporary Uh, in, in its nature. And so it's the true Lamb of God, a human, to take the place of humans in His sacrifice. And so the third reaction uh, to the Savior proclaimed, not just those who were offended but, and those who were excited, but also those who were unsure. Now some people hearing John the Baptist make this announcement might have been very curious, but not yet convinced. Right? Some people reading John's gospel for the first time might have you know, been interested, but not totally sold. Now, perhaps you fall into that category. You've heard about these things, right? You've heard about Jesus proclaimed, maybe growing up as a churchgoer, you know. You, I mean, there's never a time in your life you remember not hearing about what Jesus did for sinners. But maybe it's not been the most exciting spiritual life For you, It's just kind of this thing you do on Sunday. Yeah, you're supposed to do these things during the week as well. But it's just there's not a whole lot of excitement for you in knowing these things. It kind of is getting a little bit old. We've heard this all before. But please understand that knowing these facts in our minds, right, is not sufficient 
for salvation. It's one thing to know that the Savior is proclaimed as a historical fact, but a much different thing to know and to have His Spirit testify with your spirit that you are truly a child of God. If we just think about maybe you have a favorite musician or a favorite athlete, you might have studied this person's life, read multiple biographies about these different people, uh, but then you get to meet this person. Right? And you know this person so well, and you go and you shake his hand, and he doesn't know you at all. Right? You don't really know him. You don't really have a relationship with him. Right? Sadly, many churchgoers know a whole lot about Jesus, but they don't truly know him in a personal relationship. And that's why Jesus said, I never knew you. Right? There is that actual knowing one another in a mutual relationship that comes by faith in Jesus Christ and that bond that is formed as we trust in Him alone as Lord and Savior. But look even at John the Baptist. He didn't understand these things himself. Right? He's a prophet of God, the last Old Testament prophet. Right? He is proclaiming these things, and he himself did not understand. So we can be encouraged by that, right? that even someone at, at the stature of John the Baptist, it took a bit. Right? What it just shows us, it requires the Spirit of God, no matter who we're talking about, to enlighten our minds and to awaken our hearts to the truth, right? He needed the Spirit of God to reveal it to his heart as well. And so how can we know if God is working in our own hearts to believe? Well, I described that some of the people were offended at this announcement, and so I need to ask you, have you been offended by God? Maybe holding him responsible for some terrible thing that has happened in your life. Our hearts by nature demand that someone take the blame, right? We do that ever since Adam in the garden, right? We are blame shifters by nature. Adam blamed God for giving him a faulty helpmate, right? But if you were holding on to anger in your own heart because of certain things that have happened, I hope you understand how patient the Lord has actually been with you in your life, right? I am certain that God has been using those circumstances to help you understand your incredible need for Him and for His grace. The Lord will redeem every ounce of pain that we ever experience, and He will use it uh, in our lives to show us uh, our need for His grace and the sufficiency of His grace. And so I encourage you to give over your anger to the Lord, to trust Him because of how He is revealed, how His character is revealed in the Scriptures, to entrust to Him uh, all that has burdened you and be set free from bitterness even towards the Lord Himself. Now, others of you may not be angry with God himself, but perhaps you're just unsure, right? Your pastor, Pastor Cruz, labors each week to try to help you understand God's word. And we would encourage you to use all the resources available to you, not just time on Sunday morning or evening in worship, but that you would be part, become part of a Bible study, right? Get a good study Bible, take time each day in God's word, and then gather with other believers to be connected with them, maybe a uh, men or women's group, Sunday school. I mean, there's a variety of activities uh, that we can be involved in. Uh, it doesn't guarantee it's going to clear up every confusion right away. Uh, But we have to understand what Scripture says. It says faith comes from hearing 
and hearing through the word of Christ. And so the more that we read, the more that we hear the word proclaimed, the more that we discuss and wrestle through these different things with one another, the more that the Spirit of God enlightens our minds to the truth. Every one of us needs the Spirit's help. And so we learn, secondly, that the Spirit is provided, right? First, we saw the Savior proclaimed, and secondly, the Spirit provided. Look again at verse 32. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. No matter what the audience you know, hears in this proclamation that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, every audience needs the Spirit to give us the faith to believe. Right? John the Baptist uh, believed because the Spirit was provided, first of all, as a sign. Right? He didn't recognize Jesus merely as a man of who he was as a carpenter, right? as his relative. Right? But Je- Jesus is revealed to John because the Spirit descended right, upon him. And so he knew, oh, that's the sign. That is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so when John the Baptist saw that, he had that confidence that that sign was being fulfilled in Jesus. Now, the Spirit was also provided as a support Right? The job that John the Baptist had in proclaiming Jesus was not an easy job to do. John the Baptist was not a normal Levite. Right? You might remember that his father, Zechariah, uh, was a Levitical priest. And so most likely John was trained as well as a priest. Uh, but he was, we could call, a bit of an outsider. Right? If we uh, recognize uh, from the different prophecies that are given uh, that his job was to live in the wilderness, so that he could fulfill what it said in Isaiah 40. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Right? The other Gospels tell us that he kind of had some weird clothes and a very strange diet, unless anybody else loves locusts. I'm not sure. I haven't quite seen that at a church potluck anytime recently. But uh, he was probably not invited to a lot of parties. Right? John the Baptist, as I said, was a bit of an outsider. But he didn't care. Right? His heart was focused on the kingdom, not the temporal. He was an outsider and an outcast, but he knew his calling. And as Jesus said, he was the most faithful. He was the greatest human being to ever live. The Spirit supported John in everything, no matter how difficult it was. And so I want to ask you, do you experience the work of the Holy Spirit supporting you. Right? I am sure that there are times that you sense the Spirit working powerfully in your life, giving you understanding, enlightening your eyes to the truth. Prayer is a huge factor in enabling us to walk in the power of the Spirit. Now, there's, there's no magic prayer. Right? It is not a matter of saying just the right words like a spell, like just in the right order, right? saying it in Latin. Right? That's not what matters. Right? It's simply asking and depending upon the Spirit of God to give us understanding, right? to give us wisdom and clarity, right? to testify with our spirits that we are indeed children of God. And so the last amazing point that we are given is that the Son is presented. First, we saw the Savior proclaimed. Second, the Spirit provided. And lastly, the Son presented. Look at verse 34. 
And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now the Spirit provided witness to John the Baptist that Jesus is the Savior and that Jesus is the Son of God. Of God. Now, like the title, Lamb of God, the title Son of God also has incredible roots in the Old Testament. Right? The title has no meaning to the hearers unless they understand where it is found in the Old Testament. Now, God gave the promise to King David, right, that his son would sit on the throne for a long time. That's not what he said. Right? His son will sit on the throne forever. Well, Solomon is dead and buried, and he's not doing that right now, right? So there is another son who had to come. The Lord said to King David, I will be his father, and he will be my son. Jesus, as we know, was descended from the lineage of King David on both his mother and his father's sides. He is the promised son of God. We also read in the prophets in Hosea chapter 11. When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and and out of Egypt I called my son. Now this is why Mary and Joseph left, right, to, to get away from the threat of King Herod. And they fled down to Egypt so that, Matthew 2 verse 15, uh, shows the prophecy of Hosea uh, being fulfilled. Out of Egypt I have called my son. And then they went and settled back up in Nazareth of Galilee far away from Jerusalem so Jesus could be protected. Now, I could go on about how many different Old Testament verses are pointing us to Jesus as the Savior, but most of all as the Son of God. But even John's first letter, right, his uh, first John in the New Testament makes it clear in chapter 5 when he wrote, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now this promise sums up the saving power of trusting Jesus as the Son of God. Now if you believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away your sin and you believe that He is the Son of God, Scripture declares that you have eternal life. But we can't just hold on to this truth merely for ourselves. If you had the cure for cancer and you only shared it with your family, does that show love to the rest of the world? No, it does not. We have the cure for everything, right? The cure for all sin given to us in the gospel. And we are called by God to share it with the entire world. And so this is the primary application. Simply tell others. Now we know that when we see a need... Right? We recognize for ourselves that there, we have a great need for a Savior. Well, you know that people will have various responses when you're proclaiming that Savior to them. Right? Just like in the very beginning when we learn that some people, when you tell them, will be offended. Right? God doesn't require you, though. Even if that happens, He doesn't require you to change their hearts. There's nothing you can do of if that person happens to be offended. Now, we have to be careful how we go about it, right? We don't, we don't want to attempt to be offensive, like, you know, just blasting them in a way that we wouldn't want to be talked to. We can go to them gently and humbly, but a lot of times it's just the truth itself that they are offended by. 
And so it is the Spirit alone that can change a sinner's heart. And so we need to be in prayer, praying uh, that He would do a work uh, in their hearts and that we would come humbly and lovingly sharing as beggars who have found bread, we want to share it with other beggars who need that bread of life. Now the great thing is you will also find people who are excited, right? You will talk to them about this Savior who has come, saved you, and they will be like fruit that just falls off right in your hand. I mean, they've just been waiting for somebody to tell them how they could know God in a personal way, how they could have their sins forgiven. The Spirit has ripened their heart and they're ready uh, for them to hear the gospel and to believe. But just remember, there were others that went before you to plant seeds, other people to water seeds, and then perhaps you will be given the great joy of the harvest. Now, the majority of unbelievers you speak to will be unsure, right? They may know things about Jesus. They've heard of him, you know. Uh, they're confused about Jesus and Santa Claus, not quite sure exactly what we're supposed to focus on at Christmas time, perhaps. Um, but they might have doubts about the relevance of the Bible, right? This very ancient book, you know, why is it going to be so important? Why do we keep emphasizing these things? But your job is merely to plant seeds, perhaps to water seeds, right? And as you are doing that, God has called you to that faithful ministry. We never know the time, right, when it might be our opportunity for them to be excited uh, to become children of God and actually uh, entrust themselves to Jesus Christ. But I have found in my 20 years of ministry far too many Christians that are carrying around on their shoulders so much guilt from evangelism failure. And what I want you to be encouraged by is that the only failure that occurs in the Christian life is if you don't pray and is if you don't open your mouth. Right? You can't guarantee the results. The only thing we're called to is to pray. And so every prayer, every word faithfully spoken, pointing others to Jesus, is evangelism success. That is, God has just called us to faithfulness. He will handle the results. Right? And so we can celebrate the Spirit's work and that we as believers can be encouraged because you believe that Jesus saves now we simply need to fulfill his mission and tell others. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we are reminded about your grace that is given to us in Jesus Christ, Lord, we are so thankful for John the Baptist that he was a faithful proclaimer. And yes, he stood out. Yes, he had a very unique ministry. And thank you that we don't have to wear his clothes and eat his diet. But we are called, Lord, to... Be proclaimers. And there are times that people might treat us like total outsiders. There's times that we might uh, be uh, marginalized because of our witness. But you have told us that as we are faithful, that we are blessed, even if we are persecuted in different ways. Right? If people say silly things, if they smirk, if they ignore us, if they mock us. But Lord, most of all, we know that the majority experience is people just don't understand. They don't get it. And we just ask that you would help us to see different places in their lives where they recognize that their lives fall short. That we would help them understand that their ways of doing things are never going to be enough, nor are our own ways. And we had confessed that already today. But that we would all lay down our ways and recognize that your ways are best.
that we need a Savior and that that Savior has come to take away our sins. Help us to share that message with others that they too might receive the Savior and know the peace that you alone can bring for all eternity. We ask that you would guide us in our time as we conclude our time of worship celebrating the the Savior, the Shepherd who leads us. We pray in His name. Amen.